Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. We're going to be looking at verses 46 through 52 today. And today is Pentecost Sunday. And that is where we remember and we honor the Holy Spirit descending on the apostles in Jerusalem. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. It also happens to be Baptism Sunday for us. What a coincidence. So we're going to be celebrating four baptisms uh, right after the message today, and that means we're also going to spend some time in fellowship. We have a potluck after the service, and and you guys are all invited to stay. All right. Last Sunday, we looked at the ugliness of personal ambition, and we defined ambition as this drive and this determination to get what you want, when you want it, all at the cost of others. And we talked about James chapter 3, verse 16, where it is written, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder, and there is every evil practice. So personal ambition really is the antithesis of agape love, this sacrificial love that Christ has called us to. We define love. Love is simply an obedience to Jesus. And what that does is it propels me to action. I do something with that. And it's for the good of others, no matter the cost to me. That's what, that's what love is. A couple key points from last week. We talked about how ambitious people They ask audacious questions. They do audacious things, right? So the sons of thunder, they said, we want to sit at your right and left, Jesus. We talked about how Jesus' glory is Jesus' cross. We discussed how the disciples wanted the rewards without that cost. They, They wanted all the rewards without the suffering. We talked about how the disciples would rather bear a grudge than bear a cross. And then lastly, we talked about how God's grace, and this is a big deal, God's grace is an eternal gift that will cost you everything in this temporary life. So all that to say this, the Lord taught us last Sunday that he does not favor and will not tolerate an ambitious church because ambition is all about me. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's the unholy trinity of mankind. And Jesus won't put up with that in his church. Well, today, we're going to see Jesus' last healing miracle in the Gospel of Mark. The setting is the city of Jericho. And Jericho, it's vital because 
the Jews would avoid traveling through the middle part of Israel. It's called Samaria. So they would bypass Samaria. They would walk through an area called Perea. And then they would cross the Jordan River at Jericho and then finally head south towards Jerusalem. So needless to say here, there's a tremendous amount of foot traffic in Jericho, especially at this time. It's springtime, and that means it's Passover. So knowing the number of travelers here, many people with infirmities, what they would do is they would sit alongside of the road and they would beg for their daily bread. So today we're going to meet one of those beggars, and his name is Bartimaeus. And Brother Bart has a crucial lesson to teach us today. What is that lesson? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 and following. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, he was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called the blind man and they said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. So he throws off his coat. He jumps up. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see. And he began to follow Jesus on the road. These are the very words from God for us this morning. Please pray with me. Father, it is so good to be here with your, your family. Today is a very special Sunday. We are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. We are celebrating this day with baptisms, Lord God, and I pray that our songs and that our words have honored you. I pray that the proclamation of your word as we go through this scripture passage glorifies you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us Teach us the deep things um, that you have prepared for this day, and that you would indeed give us the spiritual insight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. So verse 46. So they came to Jericho, and Jesus was leaving, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, he was sitting by the road. So as we mentioned, we've got Jesus and the 12. They're, they're taking the usual route to Jerusalem from the north. Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And in the first century, there were two Jerichos, two cities named Jericho. One is the Old Testament Jericho, and the other is the New Testament Jericho. These two cities were about three miles apart. And the Old Testament Jericho was destroyed by Israel when they conquered the land back in Joshua chapter 6. And as you'll remember, the Israelites, they just kept walking around the city until the walls fell down, right? It's a great war strategy. So Old Testament Jericho, people still live there, but for the most part, people lived in, in the new part. 
Um, Three interesting things about the city of Jericho. Number one, the new city was built by Herod the Great. It was a beautiful city, and it still is a beautiful city. Um, Even though it's in the desert, there's a lot of water there, and they, they called the city the City of Roses. Number two, some believe that the outskirts of Jericho, that's the area where Satan tempted Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights. And number three, archaeologists believe that Jericho is the oldest city on the face of the planet, Damascus being the second oldest. So all that to say this, on your way to Jerusalem from the north, you had to first go through Old Testament Jericho to get to the new. So this conversation with Bartimaeus most likely happened between the two Jerichos. And this is important because when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say something just a little bit different. Mark and Matthew says that Jesus was leaving Jericho, but Luke says that he was approaching Jericho. So that sounds like a contradiction in Scripture, but it's not uh, because of the two cities. It depends on your your point of view. Um, So we don't have a contradiction in God's Word there. The Gospel of Mark tells us that, that this man's name is Bartimaeus. Now, this is interesting because this is the only time in the, in the Gospel of Mark where we learn of the person being healed. Usually, it's, we, we know of them by their infirmity. So, um, and that's an important detail. We'll get to that here in a second. So, verse 46 tells us that Bartimaeus, he's a blind beggar. He's sitting alongside the road. So, in other words, he was the lowest of the low when it comes to society. He basically was just one click above a tax collector uh, in the eyes of the Jews. Jewish theology also taught us that this man was blind because of his sin. And we see this elsewhere in the Gospels, right? In in John chapter 9, we see this theology play out when the disciples, they're talking about another blind man. They said, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it? Was it this guy? Did he sin or was it his parents' sin? So all that to say, nobody gives a rip about Bart. He is one of society's expendables. That sets us up for verse 47. So when Bart heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, now Bart, he hears the crowd coming. Obviously, he, wants, he asks somebody what's going on. That someone must have said something like, oh, it's, it's Jesus, the Nazarene. It's not really a compliment. Remember when Philip invited Nathaniel to meet Jesus? And Nate said, come on, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Evidently, Bartimaeus does because he immediately begins to shout for Jesus. So clearly, he's heard of Jesus. Now, think about this. Bart's a beggar. So he's listening. He's hearing people walk by him day in and day out talking about this Jesus. He hears about the miracles. He hears about the the raising of the dead. So not only does he know about Jesus, but guys... He believes that Jesus is truly God. And we know this because of of the way that that Bart addresses Jesus. He uses his messianic title. He says, Jesus, 
son of David. So up until this point, whenever that kind of messianic language was spoken, Jesus immediately shut it down. Remember when Jesus said, um, he asked the question to his disciples. He said, who do you guys say that I am? Who am I? And Peter said, well, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're correct, but don't tell anybody. All the demon-possessed people, the same exact thing. They would fall down in front of Jesus, and they would say, you are Jesus, son of David, the most high God. And he said, zip it. He wouldn't let anybody say that. Um, But Bartimaeus here, he calls Jesus the son of David repeatedly at full volume. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't silence him. Now, why would he do that? Well, God's providential and sovereign timing. I mean, think about what's going on at this moment. Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He's getting ready to fulfill that very title, that messianic title, the son of David, and he wants everyone to know it. So for Bartimaeus to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he had to know his Old Testament. So let me show you a few things here. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, it is written, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David, and he will reign wisely as king, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he's going to shepherd them. He will tend them himself, and he will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, I will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So guys, it is no accident that Bart uses Jesus' messianic title here. He's very specific. He knew that the Messiah would come from the family line of King David, but he also knows the promises. He also knows the divine promises, promises like that of healing in the Old Testament. So in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, check this out. Isaiah says, then the eyes of the blind are going to be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Isaiah 42, 16, I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light right in front of them. All those rough places, that's going to be level ground. This is what I will do for them. I will not abandon them. Wow. Wow. Notice here, Bart cried for mercy. Mercy. He just wants Jesus to show compassion to him. But look at this, verse 48. So many, that's the crowd, the crowd warned them, warned Bart to keep quiet. But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. So the dichotomy here of Bart crying out and begging for mercy, while the crowd themselves is merciless, is very apparent in verse 48. The crowd thought that Jesus didn't want anything to do with this needy, dirty beggar. But Bartimaeus, he's not going to be discouraged. He keeps crying out for mercy. So this brings us to key point number one. Bartimaeus may lack physical eyesight, 
but not spiritual insight. Bartimaeus, he may lack physical eyesight, but not spiritual insight. Verse 48 says, he was crying out all the more. So the crowd's rebuke, it only magnifies Bart's cries. So, So picture what's going on here. Blind Bart is crying, he's chanting at the top of his lungs. This man is desperate, and he's miserable. He's wretched, and now he's, he's frantic. It's like he, he got himself all worked up into this frenzy. And the people around him, they're like, Bart, shut up. Bart, you're making a scene. Bart doesn't care. There's, there's no way that Bart is going to uh, back down now. Bart is beyond their control. Because he knows he's got one chance for healing, and he's going to do everything that he can to get Jesus' attention. Why? Because Bart knows something that the crowd doesn't know. He knows that Jesus is God. He knows this. Now, we've seen this kind of grit from others as we studied the, the gospel of Mark over the past year. You think about the lepers and the hemorrhaging woman how they ignored all of the the public health laws so that they could touch Jesus. Remember the four guys that ripped Peter's roof off the house and they dropped that paralyzed man right in front of him. The Syrophoenician woman, she did not give up until Jesus healed her demon-possessed daughter. Remember the, the desperate father who had to overcome his doubt for Jesus to heal his demon-possessed boy? He said, I believe Jesus, but man, you got to help me with this unbelief. And here we see this tenacious determination, this grit from Bart. So Jesus hears his cry for help and mercy. So what's he do? What's Jesus do? Verse 49, Jesus stops. He said, call him. I mean, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God Almighty, stopped, just like he did for the hemorrhaging woman. So even though the crowd is trying to shut down, uh, shut down Bart and, and have him shut up, Bart is relentless. Jesus stops for him. The, the original Greek here, it says, and Jesus stood still. Or even better, Jesus stood. The God of the universe just stopped. Think about that. The compassion of Jesus. Jesus allows a poor and powerless man to stop him in his tracks. He's on the way to Jerusalem. Think about this. He's on the way to be spit upon, mocked, flogged, and nailed to a cross. He's got a little something on his mind. And yet, he's got time for a conversation with this poor, dirty beggar. And really, this validates last Sunday's message to where we learn that Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Key point number two, the crowd usually gets things wrong. The crowd usually gets things wrong. The same thing happens today. Unlike the crowd, Jesus doesn't silence Bartimaeus, and Jesus doesn't reject the title son of David either. Remember, Jesus is fulfilling his messianic mission. There's no reason to keep this a secret anymore. Jesus is now welcoming the crowds as he walks to Jerusalem for Palm Sunday. 
So back to verse 49. So they called the blind man and they said to him, have courage, Bart, get up. He's calling for you. Now, it's one thing for us to call on the Lord Jesus, but it's, it's another thing entirely when the Lord Jesus calls you. Verse 50, so what's he do? He throws off his coat, he jumps up, and he comes to Jesus. I mean, isn't that what everybody should do when Jesus calls them? He jumps up. He just, he literally, he sprang up. He's so excited. He just jumps up in faith and eagerness. And so his mood, obviously, he changes from despair to hope. He gets rid of his outer coat. He didn't want anything slowing him down. I'm reminded of of Hebrews chapter 12, that we are to throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything. That we are to run with perseverance so that that we can finish this race that, that the Lord Jesus has marked out for us. So Jesus leaves his coat behind. That's an unusual act for a poor blind man. Poor people usually have all of their belongings within reach. He probably used this coat to to lay it out during the day so people would throw their donations down there. He would need that also to keep him warm at night. He leaves it. Verse 51, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, Bart said, I I, want to see. I want to see. Now, I read this verse, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking, Come on, Jesus, isn't this obvious? Call me Captain Obvious. I mean, the guy wants to see, but evidently not. I mean, it's not evident to Jesus. And as we look throughout Scripture, think about this. Over the past few weeks, we think we, we know what these people have come to Jesus for. Pharisees are always coming to Jesus. Well, they wanted to outsmart Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. The rich young ruler... Mm, he wanted eternal life with minimal cost. James and John, they they wanted to sit at Jesus' right and left. So Jesus simply asked Bart a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? So in other words, Jesus makes Bart express his need. I mean, who knows? Maybe Bart just wanted a handout. That's possible. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, does that question ring a bell from last week? Yes. It's the same exact question that Jesus asked James and John back in verse 36. Wow. It's the same exact question. And yet the blind man said, Jesus, I want to see. Bart's saying, you know what? He's not asking for status. He's not asking for glory. He was begging the Lord Jesus for something that many of us take for granted every single day. He wanted his eyesight. He wanted to see. Now, Bart calls Jesus Rabboni. This is the same title Mary Magdalene proclaimed when she saw the risen Christ. Rabboni, it's it's just a slight alteration from the word rabbi. And just because there's a small difference doesn't mean it's not significant, because it is. Uh, The word rabbi means teacher, but rabboni means far more than that. It's much more than a personal title. What, What Bart was saying here, he was saying, my Lord, my master, 
Let me see. It's much more personal. It's a lot more reverent. So we flash back to last week. Jesus says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Well, the sons of thunder, they wanted extraordinary glory. Bartimaeus, he just just wants ordinary health. James and John, they want to sit on thrones. Bartimaeus, he's sitting in the dust. The sons of thunder, they want to be superhuman, and Bart, he simply wants to be a human. Verse 52, Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. So immediately he could see, and he began to follow Jesus on the road. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew records that Jesus healed him with a touch. Luke notes that Jesus spoke the words, receive your sight to Bartimaeus. And what Mark does here, he simply records what happened after the miracle. So as you read the synoptic gospels, you can put all of this together because all three of those things happened, but they're called synoptic gospels because it's, it's a synopsis. It's a snapshot of what happened. And the reason that the Um, the gospel writers did that is because they are writing to a specific audience with a specific theme. So I want you to picture this. You're standing in the crowd and you're watching this miracle take place. And the first thing that Bart sees is Jesus's face. He sees the one true living God. What's he do? What's Bart do? Okay, you just see him jumping up and down, grabbing a hold of Jesus, and, and they're just celebrating and laughing and crying, and the crowd just erupting. Y'all see that? Amazing. And then Jesus says, he says this, he says, go. Bart, you can go. Now, this is not an abrupt dismissal. It, it could be translated, you may go. Uh, it, simply, it simply means that he is now cured. Bart, you don't have to sit on the side of the road anymore and beg for your daily bread. He says, your faith has saved you. All right, so let's pause here for one second. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. This is one of these verses that the false prosperity preachers will beat you with if you're not careful. I've talked a lot about prosperity theology over the past year. Every time it comes up in Scripture like this, we're going to continue to talk about it. This is, these are the same words, your faith has saved you, that Jesus said to the woman with the hemorrhage. And the reason that we need to continue talking about this is because this prosperity theology, it's, it gets so easily mixed into the church, and we have to guard that. The psalmist writes that the word of God is exceedingly pure, and your servant loves it. We love God's word because it is pure, it is truth, it is grace, it is mercy. And that's the reason that it's pure. But if we start bringing some doctrines in that are not pure, and you mix that in with the word of God, the word of God is no longer pure. So we have to be very careful of this. So, as you know, there are people in the church today who treat this verse 
and other verses as an entitlement for miracles. And you'll see these guys all over YouTube. They've got these multi-million dollar ministries. And what they'll do is they'll take a verse like this, this healing verse, they'll take it way out of context, and they could not be more wrong with their interpretation. And what false prosperity preachers say is that you can be healed of anything as long as you have enough faith. And guys, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. So key point number three, those who go to Jesus for miracles won't believe his words. Those who go to Jesus only for miracles won't believe his words. They will go to church for the music, and that'll get them all excited. They'll go to church to hear this famous pulpiteer to get their ears tickled. And yet when the music fades and the so-called miracles, they don't work, where do they go now? Where do they go? Well, they'll leave. They'll leave that church because that was a false church teaching a false doctrine because they believed the lie that somehow they don't have enough faith to be healed. So let's keep this, this verse in its original context. Yes, Jesus chooses to heal Bartimaeus. Amen. The word saved here, it has a double meaning. Sozo, S-O-Z-O. It refers to both physical and spiritual salvation for Bart. Here's what this verse doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God will heal you from your infirmity. Key point number four. Because our faith doesn't tell God what to do. Our faith doesn't tell God what to do. Guys, Almighty God is holy. Scripture says in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Revelation that God is holy, holy, holy. He is thrice holy. He's not a cosmic genie. And that's what happens when we take verses like this out of, out of context. God, has, he's sovereign. He has the right to say no to your prayers. He has the right to do with your life whatever he chooses to do. So please know that if you're praying for healing and you're not healed physically, the reason is not that your faith is lacking. That's what the false prosperity preachers will teach. But that God has sovereignly decided that at this time, healing is not best for you. Let me show you this. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts, God says, guys, my thoughts, they are not your thoughts. Your ways, the way that you go about life and, and do, do life, that, that, that's not my way. This is the Lord's declaration for as, he, as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. Brings us to key point number five. Your faith during physical trials allows you to engage spiritually in the healing process. Your faith during physical trials allows you to engage spiritually 
in the healing process. Physical health, obviously very important. But don't miss this. Your, physical, your, your spiritual health is much more important. Key point number six for today, faith that demands proof, it's not faith. Faith that demands proof. When you look, think about how many times we've seen the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees demand a miracle from Jesus. It's not faith. When God answers no to your prayers, when he says, you're going to have to wait, God's still God. Romans 8.28 is still in the New Testament. It doesn't doesn't mean that we necessarily lack faith. And it certainly doesn't mean that, that God doesn't love you. It simply means that God has a better plan for you. I mean, think about it. How many times growing up did your parents or your caregivers say, no, no. God the Father said no to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane three times. Jesus told the Apostle Paul that his grace was sufficient for his suffering. So don't you dare believe this lie that you don't have enough faith or that God doesn't love you as you experience trials. Because of this, key point number seven, God proved his love for you on the cross. God proved his love for you on the cross. So when you, whenever you start to doubt God's love for you, I'm begging you to make a beeline for the cross. And it's because of the cross. That's where we embrace God's plan. Guys, this is not your best life now. If you're a child of God, this life is as bad as it gets. How do we know this? John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? So dear friends, Jesus himself is preparing an eternal place in heaven for you right now. Now, if you're not a child of God, Meaning, if you refuse to call on the name of Jesus to save you from your sin, if you reject, if you dismiss Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, if you don't fear God and, and you think that all of this is just one big cosmic joke, this life is as good as it gets. How do we know that? Because the word of God says in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, I say to you, my friends, this is Jesus speaking, Don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I'll show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. The world doesn't believe in a hell. Jesus talks more about hell than anywhere else in the entire scriptures. Hell is a very real place where people will experience God's holy and righteous wrath forever and ever. It's the same wrath that Jesus experienced on the cross for us. All that to say this, 
look, guys, y'all know this life is filled with trials and suffering. Key point number eight, we're not to run from suffering, but we're to trust God in the suffering. We are not to run from the suffering. We are to trust God in the suffering. Much too often, we settle for God's best because we, we refuse to join him in his plan. God tells us that we will be tested. And then when it happens, we act like it. we had no idea it was coming. James chapter 1, verse 2 James says, consider it great joy, my brothers and my sisters, that when you experience various trials, a.k.a. when you are going through hell on earth, rejoice, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, the trial is, is what makes us mature. It's what makes us into the people that God created us to be. Key point number nine, your relationship with God is revealed by your obedience to the word of God. Your relationship with God is revealed by your obedience to the word of God. So when God speaks to you through his word or through the Holy Spirit or godly counsel, which is all part of scripture, it validates what Scripture says, especially as you go through pain and suffering. What you do next shows us and it shows you what you really believe about God, regardless of what you say. Verse 52, immediately he could see and he began to follow Jesus on the road. This is so cool. When Jesus called the 12 disciples to follow him, they did. They, they abandoned their former way of life. They left everything. The only thing that this man had was that coat. He needed that coat for survival, and he left it. Wow. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Bartimaeus, he doesn't leave, though. I mean, he could have run through the city. He could have seen all the sights. He could have taken a leisurely stroll uh, to see God's creation. He doesn't go. As soon as Bart received his sight, he lays eyes on Jesus, the son of David. And he wanted nothing more to follow Jesus to Jerusalem to Jesus' death for his sins. So there's a deep irony here in this story. Blind Bartimaeus, he saw Jesus more clearly than, than those with 20-20 vision. He immediately becomes a follower of Jesus. And the Gospel of Luke says this, 18 verse 43, Instantly Bart can see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Now let me ask you this. Why do you think our gospel writer, Mark, here includes this poor beggar's name in this narrative? Because most everyone else is known by their worldly identity. They're known by the problem that they have as they come to Jesus. We got the Syrophoenician woman. Oh, she had that demon-possessed daughter. 
all the lepers are known by their leprosy. We have the hemorrhaging woman. We've got the rich young ruler, the father. He had the demon-possessed boy, the garrison demoniac. Why not just leave Bart's name out and just call him the blind beggar like everyone else? Because this is not only Bart's testimony, it's his destiny. Many believe that Bart went on to be a leader in the Jerusalem church. He may have been one of the 120 in the upper room at Pentecost. He may have been a part of the 500 to watch Jesus ascend back into heaven. You know, when Jesus gave this man a new physical life, and not just a physical life, but a new spiritual life, Brother Bart was not going to leave Jesus' side. He wasn't going to do it. So the question that Jesus posed to James and John last week is the same question that was posed to Bartimaeus this week. What do you want me to do for you? It's a pretty important question for us all because spiritually speaking, we're all just like Bart. We're all spiritual beggars with no hope. And apart from the grace and the cross of Jesus Christ, we got nothing. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus also asked the 12 back in Mark chapter 8. He says, who do you say that I am? So those two questions, you put them together. Those are the most important questions you will ever answer. Unfortunately, many times we give the wrong answers. We all do. We ask for a better tomorrow. What's that even mean, a better tomorrow? The Word of God says this about that, James chapter 4, verse 14. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for just a just a little while, and then vanishes. For those of you who have not accepted the gift of grace through Jesus Christ, I I pray that you do some business with God today, that you would believe in your heart that Jesus is God. And when you do that, you become innocent, you become righteous. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that proves your salvation. For those of you who call River Bible home, I want to encourage you to share this message of spiritual insight with others. I pray that you have many, many God intersections and divine appointments this week to where you can be salt and light and share the gospel and share the three circles. So we're going to pray here in a minute, and then, uh, Mike, I'll ask you to come back up. We're going to sing... Another song, we'll get ready for baptism. So Father in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day that you have made. We are rejoicing in it. We choose to be glad. Thank you for the spiritual insight this morning from a man who knew more about you than those with 20-20 vision. Lord, I do pray for divine appointments for all of us today. I pray, Lord God, that if we don't know you, that you um, extending your grace right now at this moment, that we would do some business with you. 
And for those of us who, who have accepted your incredible gift of salvation, Lord, I do pray that we share that with those in the Verde Valley this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.